Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 81 of Zion's Finest. In this episode, I am joined by Jason Bregge and Colin Hambrick. They are going to be talking about the Kentucky Regional, and we're going to be talking a lot about Spectre because at this, I think it was eight or nine person um, tournament, six of them were playing Spectre Cell. And it also, it was a very, very solid set of players playing Spectre Cell. So it was really, it's really interesting to listen to them give a report on their Swiss. They're going to talk about that, obviously. Um, we started off, Jason was on, I use an online recording software in order to record these podcast episodes. Jason was on first, Colin didn't show up later. So we actually start with Jason. He gives some background in terms of his IA, and then we start actually talking, like I start asking him questions about Spectre Cell. When Colin shows up, it there's a little bit of a transition there. It's pretty clear when that happens, um, but I just want to give everybody notice. There's no news. I hope everyone had a very Merry Christmas and is going to have a Happy New Year and it has had a wonderful holiday season. Thank you guys so much. Hello and welcome to episode 81 of Zion's Finest. This is Kenny Brown. Right at this moment, I am joined by my dear brother from the East Coast, Jason Bregge. How do you say your last name, Jason? So Bregge rhymes with Peggy. Ah, there we go. Jason Bregge. Jason is going, so we've got Jason right now. We're also going to be um, joined by Colin Hambrick, who is a previous guest on the show. Colin's not on right now, but what I would like to do is, before we get, before we get into the main thrust of the episode, let's have Jason give himself an introduction. Sure. So I'm, I'm Jason Bregge. I live in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I started playing Imperial Assault about two years ago. So one of my buddies said, hey, here's this nerdy board game about Star Wars that I've had a lot of fun with. You should play it sometime. And I've realized that like board games don't actually sound that fun when you describe them to people who have never seen them. But yeah. <laughs> uh, I know them well enough that I was like, all right, let's give it a try. So started playing Skirmish, or start, sorry, started playing uh, Campaign, had a lot of fun with that. Then we started dabbling with Skirmish with the few pieces that we had and sort of got hooked. Uh, about nine months ago, we decided, hey, let's do a regional tournament. There was one in Raleigh, and so we said, let's all sign up and do it, and showed up and sort of got our butts kicked a little bit. So, <laughs> Who yeah. was there? Oh, was we that, was so that the one? Was, um, this is North Carolina, so it was 16 Ryan people. Janway. Ryan okay. Janway, but then we, uh, the top couple were Lucas Davidson and James Hudspeth. And of course. So, Man, that and, is a... And, that's a murderer's row right there. A little bit of a murderer's row. I mean, we had people, I guess, New Jersey, Philly, Atlanta, uh, sort of up and down the East Coast. We had people coming for that tournament. And and so my regionals prep that year consisted of uh, sort of building an Excel version of the maps. I hadn't discovered Vassal. Like I was building the maps out on Excel, <laughs> counting spaces, figuring out openings. And I sort of intentionally said, I'm not going to study the forums. Like I don't want to... Maybe it's out of arrogance or something, but I was like, I want to just figure out the game on my own. I don't want to read up on on everything. And so sort of had my head in the sand, but prepping and and figuring out everything I needed to do. My list was completely off meta. I was running Palp, E-Sentries, E-Jets, BT regular jets and two officers and Zillow. So that's a, you know, that's a cool list. It's, it's a cool list. I mean, it had a lot of synergy with the jets and the droids and, and everything. Yep. And it, it, it did all right. Uh, but so on the drive over to that regional, my friend Jeremy and I were driving together. He said, Hey, guess what I learned about over breakfast this morning? There's this thing called unshakable Vader. And <laughs> <laughs> so I learned how to play or, or what Unshakable Vader was literally 20 minutes before showing up with guys like Lucas and James and Ryan and oh, at least boy. two or three others 
all running unshakable vader like right oh. in its heyday oh, so i i lucked out and played against two of my other buddies and uh out of my first three games and so was sitting at two and one before i faced the first unshakable vader of the day and managed to win and and made top eight but got my butt kicked by ryan with oh, okay. his uh, that was when he was running Palp Vader double riots. So yeah. Five act list. I think you yeah. got it from the podcast about that. He was, we talked about his beefcake list, like the massive beefcake list. Yeah. Yeah. I managed to take out his Vader, but it spent all my resources to do it. And, and I just didn't yeah. have, didn't have the guns to be able to, to finish that off. So, so that sort of got me hooked. I mean, even though it was sort of a, wow, there's a lot, going on in this game that's above the level that we've been playing i got hooked and said okay time to actually get my head out of the sand i engaged on podcast content started joining the forums joined the slack channel bought a bunch of tokens and stuff like that started playing on basil and sort of been hooked ever since i was supposed to go to nationals this year but couldn't go to due to family reasons signed up for worlds and that all brought me to the point of crazy addiction where i said okay my wife is playing in a tennis tournament this weekend. I've got the boys solo. Why don't we drive 1,120 miles round trip to Louisville and do a regional? So that's that, that brought me to, to the Louisville regional. That's awesome. Um, in, in between your starting and now, have there been other lists that you've been working on? So I, my philosophy has tended to be pick a list and stick with it to learn its ins and outs. And totally there. Rather than tampering and, and sort of trying a new list every game, trying to just create some constancy and consistency. So I had fixed that regionals list a couple months before I played in regionals and was just tinkering command cards. Over the summer, I had a sort of weird six-act Merc list, which had it, it was sort of trying to run a blend of hunters and points manipulation with java ig dracata c3po greedo and onar and so it was six acts and and that was sort of a little bit sub sub meta with everybody running seven seven and eight yeah but did it did okay with that in store champs and that was what i was gonna play at nationals just for the heck of it but i think that running six acts actually prepared me for thinking about specter well i mean specter is sort of a natural continuation of running a six act list with a decent amount of heavy hitters and just a little bit of support so yeah i i completely agree with that so as you have brought up you took specter to the louisville regional right yes yes now while we're waiting for colin we might as well get started into um the like the general details or the general details um, the outline of the tournament. Tell us about where it was, how many players were there, what everyone was running. And let's just kind of, let's just dive right into it. Okay. Yeah. So it was at a game store in Louisville that I think is sort of more on the, the comic and wargaming end of the spectrum, not as much sort of board games and, and all of that. There were eight players, uh, four okay. of them had buys. And so <laughs> a <laughs> little bit of a experience level there with people with with the having one store champs uh colin obviously was there with with his gen con runner up finish james matchett who i think was maybe top 16 at worlds this last year uh also chris emick who is the guy on the uh, 
the Slack in the forum who's responsible for saving Imperial Assault with all of the fixes for the next generation. That's, that's right. So super hospitable guy, great, uh, great group. So eight, eight of us, there were a couple that were supposed to show that had signed up that, that didn't end up showing. So we were all sort of antsy about whether we would get more players or get dice automatically, but it, it turned out just being the eight of us. So six mm-hmm. of the players were running Spectre. Oh, and we, we sort of, we were all sort of sheepish about it in the sort of lead up to, while well, everybody's just hanging around waiting for more people to show up. We, we were all yeah. sort of saying, okay, I'm running Spectre, you're running Spectre. And the attitude was sort of to not run Spectre for some people would have felt like being a tryhard. Like I'm just yeah. trying to beat Spectre, so I'm going to run something really new and, and special and, and and see if it works. And so I think everybody was sort of just in the mode of let's let's run it and see how it goes. Okay. Some people, I think Colin and I had both been playing a decent amount of it since it had come out. And so yeah. for me, with my philosophy of sticking to a list, I had stuck to the list to try to learn how to play the list better, but also to just get better at Imperial Assault, period. I think it's yeah, sure. good to isolate the variables and figure out how to improve your skill that way. And, and so yeah. I had been playing it a decent amount. Colin had been playing it a decent amount. I think James had been, and, and Chris somewhat. But I think the last two people that played it maybe had or the type of people that hadn't played as much in the months leading up to the tournament and just said, Hey, this is a strong list. I'm going to play it. So yeah. the, the other two lists, and, and I don't think either Colin or I got to play either of them. There was a list that had Palp, Vader, Hondo, and I'm not sure what the rest of the, the I've actually, was. I've heard, I've heard about this list. Yeah. That's an interesting, that's yeah, it's Chris K from Nashville. That yeah, that's so it. Chris K. And then uh, one of the other Nashville guys was running a, Merc list, and and I don't remember exactly what he had. I can't remember if it had IG or not. But mm. so those two lists, and then the six sets of Spectre. And okay. as far as what they were running, I think they were Colin and I were both running Motivation. There was an extra armor. There was Channel the Force, which is what Chris Emick was running. Uh, James was running. Uh, he was running extra armor. Uh, the other guy ran Doubt. And I'm not sure who, but the sixth person was running as their extra. Now, now is as good of a time as any to talk about your command cards because there's going to be a few that we'll probably want to go into a little bit more detail on. So, tell us what were you? What was your command card suite? Yeah, so I think in a lot of ways it's the standard uh, motivation set of command cards. So, on the lamb, had heart of freedom, dying lunge. Pummel, strength in numbers, negation, tough luck, force push, celebration, fleet-footed, planning, take initiative, and rebel graffiti. And and the ones that I sort of skipped over there as sort of some of the modifiers are force surge and stealth tactics. So stealth tactics, just thinking a little bit more defensively, I did not run with a second pummel. In my early days of playing Spectre, I really forced the issue too much every time I had Pummel in my hand, and so I stopped playing two of them. I I may go back, but it it sort of felt like it caused me to overcommit and be too aggressive. But the the main thing, and you probably noticed, and I think we've actually chatted a little bit on the forum about this, or on on the Slack channel about this, that I did not bring tools for the job, and I had Force Surge in there instead. 
and see that yeah that 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 did cause a little bit i mean we were the fur was flying over that because um ben ben um barnum yep. was talking or he brought it up i think as just like a matter of like a like a thought experiment just like to discuss it and then uh, as we were like breaking it down people were making pros and cons because at first the first time i heard that i'm like that is lunacy yeah. right like yeah. to not take tools for the job right yep. tools for the job is like the second best card in the game like that's crazy right. but maybe describe why you why you're bringing force surge because I I, I I have not changed my position but i have softened <laughs> the i have softened the strength of my position so Fair strong enough. opinions weekly held that's 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 where we, we're going we can't expect a lawyer to change their position or anything can <laughs> no that's exactly that's exactly right so but i'm also a lawyer so i'll do my best <laughs> so for me and we can circle back to this later on in the conversation i feel like specter has obviously super efficient stat line super efficient play style but yep. in a sense its damage upside is capped and yep. you know that the most you're ever going to get out of a cane and or ezra attack absent cards is eight and yep. you only have a few cards that are going to add extra damage in the typical specter set you normally have some defensive stuff you normally have a lot of movement you normally have things like on the lamb you don't have an assassinate tools for the job hunter suite so you nope. don't have the cards that can suddenly add damage out of nowhere and so in thinking about that tools obviously is a great card but when you play tools you have to declare it before before you attack and yep. that means somebody's going to roll a dodge yep because it's just selection and you're not running hunters remember that yeah so i can't heightened reflex it away i also am not running element so i don't have that additional ability but in in a sense i think tools especially in a specter mirror is going to trigger the defensive response of whoever you're attacking that's going to trigger them to throw out their stealth tactics to throw up brace for impact or to otherwise defensify themselves against that attack and so i feel like tools is not going to necessarily net the same two or two to three damage that you expect in yeah somebody bringing up their defenses and there's obviously the risk of on the lamb or dodge or, or other things and so in that sense it's helpful in increasing damage and increasing dam- damage potential obviously gives good range add for Hera or for sabine but it, it doesn't it, it's predictable and it's capable of being reacted to and capable of being completely neutralized depending upon what role what's rolled defensively or what happens defensively yeah the cards that they're that they're pocketing and right like they might they might have on the lamb or they might not but they're knowing that you're thinking about that right in your calculus of hitting ezra and yeah. most game, most games, I don't want to hit Ezra, and I will never, I will never play a tools to the job attack on Ezra if I think if I've not like attacked their hand yep. or seen something to like, okay, no, he doesn't have on the lamb because yeah. you cannot afford to put resources into like and tools is, it's an incredible card and it is also for a lot of lists that aren't hunter lists, it is like their primary like this is my strike card right like this is what I'm going to use to generate most of my surprise offense or my yeah. above the curve offense on this attack yeah and if you exactly. can't and if you can't play the card right because you're like I can't play this because Ezra is either going to dodge or on the land that is that is a drawback a strong yeah. drawback yep 
And, and so that's my thinking there. And, and so fourth, fourth surge obviously is only usable with Kanan and Ezra, but yep. it adds again, the same two to who, who knows what happens with the strain, maybe three damage, but it can be distributed when you want. And yeah, it obviously has to be end of activation. So it's not entirely when you want it, but from my perspective, it felt like a good finishing card. It's the assassinate mm-hmm. that becomes at the end, I mean, even after the attack, it's a two point version of, uh, uh, positioning advantage. And yeah, it, it, but you don't even have to use it on the person that you attacked. And so yeah. I, I, I saw the use cases as getting somebody close to dying and finishing them off or enabling a Kanan or Ezra to kill one person and kill a second person with that two damage that can be used separately, or even the ability to bomb in, like especially with Kanan, because he's so often focused around helping positioning for others, bomb him in eight or nine spaces around a corner and finish off that IG who's hiding with one health left or two health left. Yeah. And oh, yeah. those use cases are enough of a surprise factor I mean, if, if Kanan is your only figure left to go, you feel like you're seven spaces away, you're going to be largely safe. I guess eight spaces with urgency, but you, you feel like you're going to be safe. And if you can sort of surprise it, and, and avoid that the defensive um, approach of somebody running away, that adds a different type of value that you don't have with your other specters. So. Yeah, I, I guess, and I think... I, I really do think that the case is strong in the context of like the Spectre mirror. I think the yep. case for four surge is really, really strong in that context. Um, I, I, I guess the question is, is how maybe it might be a play style. Ben thinks it's a play style question and I'm, I don't know how sold I am on that, but cause I, I think it's more of a meta call, right? Like if you are going to be running into specters all day, then I think maybe there is a good argument for four surge. Um, whereas if you're going to be running into a more traditional meta field and you can't guarantee, you can't be dependent on this two point card um, only triggering when you're within one space of somebody, right? Like if you're right. running against a, a high range, you might need to have a card that's a little bit more flexible, like tools. Like that's why tools is so amazing is because it's flexible. Yep. You've got three people who can use it all to great effect. So, yeah, but I, I think also, I mean, if, if I'm playing a list and I can't get Ezra and Kanan involved, I'm going to be in trouble anyways. If I'm relying on just Harazeb and Sabine to be my range hitters and shooting across the map, there's going to be some trouble there. Um, All right. We are now joined. Uh, Colin, Colin just hopped on. Say hello, Colin. Hey, how's it going? What we're what we are going to do is, so we were just talking about four surgeon tools, Jason, um, as he as he was describing, gave an excellent argument for why he takes four surge over tools. We're going to transition away from that. Let's have Colin do a quick refresher. People, um, listeners will remember that he was on an episode a few months ago. He went to Gen Con and he was in the finals there. Colin, give us a quick refresher and then we'll just dive right into the meat of the episode. Yep. Thanks, Kenny. Uh, I started playing about a year ago and just started getting into, you know, more serious level competitive skirmish over the summer um usually been getting most of my practice sessions online as far as vassal goes but this 
regional season, Louisville actually hosted uh, like the first regional for Imperial Salt there. So that was really cool, not having to travel that far. And also got some good uh, practice sessions in, in person as well. Awesome. Very, very awesome. And again, um, give us a quick recap. You went to Gen Con, right? Yes, yes. I went to Gen Con. I took a, a, a scum hunters list. It's like double Weequay, Claudite. And I was able to uh, get runner-up there, second place. That's right. That's right. Uh, Brian Marks with his crazy defensive on-smuggler list. Yeah, that, that's what took me down at the very end. Oh, that's awesome. Very, very cool. And not, not bad considering how long you've been playing. Okay, perfect. Um, let's. So what we're going to do is let's just dive into the tournament. Uh, maybe what we'll do is have each player give a quick summary of their Swiss rounds like how they did in swiss and then what i want to do after we've done that is we, as jason said six of the eight players were running specter so what i would like the meat of the episode to be about is you two discussing um your general strategies in terms of like if you're playing specter here's what i'm looking to do and maybe we can contextualize that on missions if there's like something special that you think needs to be called out and i would also like to talk about the mirror in terms of if you're playing against specter like what's What's the general, what, what, what's your general strategy? So um, Jason, when you want to start us off, give us a quick Swiss summary. Yeah, sure thing. So I was not one of the four people that had a buy. I think Colin was. And so yep. there were two games uh, going on simultaneously. And, and it sort of felt like we had an audience because the four people with the buy were looking over our shoulders for that <laughs> first round. And, uh, and, and I was playing Chris Emick in, in that first round. So he was running... Uh, Spectre, but with Channel the Force, so I knew exactly what he had uh, in terms of Force user card at the very beginning. So this game was really a mirror in in the truest sense of the word, and every one of the bi guys who looked over our shoulders at some point joked, hey, it looks like you're looking into a mirror. And, uh, but but it really was. I mean, we we it was on Moss Eisley stashes, so control for two points, and we basically ran counterclockwise around the map at each other, avoiding the center until around round three. And uh, we swapped terminals and killed each other's terminal sitters. And then the game sort of swung on a missed Ezra pummel by Chris uh, on the lamb away from it with my Ezra. And that just completely broke the the mirror stalemate. And, and so I ended up win, winning that game. So 1-0 after the first game. Another highlight was Chris uh, goading me into a re-roll that was unnecessary with, with Ezra. It was one of those where I had the person dead exactly. And there was the risk in my mind. I'm thinking Zillow. I'm thinking any of these random cards that people don't really run with Spectre but could throw throw out one more block. And he was like, Are you, do you want to re-roll that? fine whatever and of course he tough lucked it away and saved of course so completely goaded me into it i'll give him 100 percent credit for that and continue to give him grief for the rest of my life but uh classic chris great 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 guy super hospitable uh so one and oh on on the day in swiss and what was that mission uh that was moss eisley stashes okay so so starting off with with the oldest map first uh, and, and I mean, literally, I think at the end of round one, we had the same score, 6-6. Six, six. At the end of round two, we were sitting 22-22. And then round three was when that pummel missed, and that just just swung everything. Yeah. So game two, uh, and maybe we can swing back to this one. So this is actually when I played Colin. So he, oh, okay. he, we were both 1-0. His was the bye. 
and we played our new screw lost and found. Uh, I, I'm happy to just sort of talk through it sort of in parallel with you, Colin, if you want, if you think that's a great idea. Be. Okay. I mean, this was, this was super great tight game on, uh, on Uscrew, uh, the lost and found mission. So control for two points and, uh, Colin had initiative if I'm recalling correctly and yeah. took, sort of the bottom side with the pillar, sort of thinking about the orientation from Vassal, uh, yep. the, the pillar side. and Slightly favored side, right? Got yeah. more protected terminal. Exactly. A little bit more protected and, and good open, open route. And in my opening hand, or with, uh, I guess I did Hera planning maybe as the first move of the round, I had drawn negation, pummel, and strength in numbers with initiative coming my hand round two. Oh, wow. So, Colleen, you could describe sort of how you opened. Uh, I believe, uh, I actually really like Uscrew for Spectre. Uh, okay. it, there's always a safe place to place Hera kind of near, if you're either on the fountain side or the, uh, the dining booth side. You can always hide Hera on the corner there. And then with her range three, like, uh, buff bubble, she can always grant sort of an end of round Spectre snipe which I usually give to Sabine. So like once, once you've, you know, you've deployed your forces and whatnot, I always try to go for the middle. I save Ezra for last with, you know, Zeb motivation, Ezra's brash. And if I have another movement card that always helps me get towards the middle, but I try to draw my opponent to like, you know, stick their head out around their corner, which I believe I got Jason to do. Yeah. You totally got me to do it. Yeah. Because I I think I I think the same thing with Sabine. (laughs) I don't think I got a kill with it, but any damage off of her is always welcomed, especially yeah. damage like that. So I was able to pull off a, um, a pretty hefty range snipe. I think it was uh, range nine, I believe. It wow. was, it was, it was pretty long and you played element on it. So you put yes. five or six damage onto my Sabine. All my Sabine had done was maybe two damage on Kanan and maybe one, one splash damage with a grenade or something like that. So it was a, it was a weak trade of round one uh, Spectre Sabine. Yeah, and then I remember I was able to uh, hold the middle with my Ezra at the end of the round, yep. I believe. Yep. Yeah, so, so so you were up, I think, 6-2 or something like that after that first, because it, with me holding the cards that I was holding, knowing I had an initiative pummel strength and numbers swing coming my way, I had to sort of go fountain side. I said, I, I can't sort of circle counterclockwise i can't afford that because this is my opportunity is to open both of my doors and go straight at everybody in the middle and that's that's, right you had all your guys start to clump around the outside of the fountain door yeah and i think you had like one or two i think some of your support figures i think Hera was down by the diner door and because at the end of round one when it came time to open the doors i had a I was trying to decide if I wanted to do like the, uh, like my door by the pillar, which would have just been like kind of a, a pass door, you know, like a pass. Right. Or if I wanted to play aggressively and open up my chopper door to maybe get a, uh, a ram on Hera. But mm-hmm. I decided, um, I think that was probably a big swing turn. I don't know Jason talked about it afterwards with me, but I think his, what he said was the deciding factor for him was when he chose to activate, I think it was chopper first or he straight, he had strength in numbers on his next draw. Strength in numbers. Yeah. I did Hera first. Yeah. yeah. And then you said, if you would have choppered, uh, if you would have went with chopper, electroshock, my chopper to death, that would have given you enough, you know, activation advantage. 
But yeah. I, I think me keeping chopper door, chop, my chopper door closed was a good decision because he was able to sit back and uh, zap anybody near your terminal. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I went. Yeah. So so basically, I set up a, a perfect triangle with Hera, Kanan, and Ezra to be able to run an Ezra pummel on his Kanan, or sort of strengthen <laughs> or start off strengthen yeah. numbers with Hera. Chipped two damage on Sabine. I, I really like Sabine was a better target than Ezra, but I hope to get more damage than that out of Hera. And then did the specter attack on Kanan, didn't quite kill him, had to do the first pummel on Kanan. And then the second pummel was turned back to Sabine and I only did like four damage. I think it was one of those rolls where I did three surges and even with turning a die, I was only able to do four damage. So I couldn't remove two figures. I only Mm. removed Kanan with that, start around swing which is why i think in retrospect running with chopper to get that second removal i would have done the exact same thing with ezra and would have been one activation ahead and my chopper wouldn't have been in danger of getting shocked and and everything so it was a it was a massive opening turn like swing of events but when the dust cleared i realized that like you know i was still staying there and i was fine so then i sort of you know swept in his forces were somewhat split between the uh the opening door to the dining area and then the uh towards the terminal area so i think i just kind of focused the guys towards the terminal area with the uh electroshock i remember his zeb had a perfect roll on his free attack and i was able to dodge that i only rolled two dodges the night and that was one of them was on a perfect uh, zeb yeah. roll but after yeah. after he burnt his uh, activation cards, I mean, I drew mine eventually. I think towards the end of uh, towards the end of that round, I believe I, I drew them, and then I was able to uh, pull off a similar move with my strength and numbers. Yep, awesome. Yeah, and, and then another a key moment that I remember is I think your Ezra is going after my uh, Zab and got him to 12 damage but you re-rolled one of your dice and i was holding tough luck and did not play it and it's like and, and and did that let him die to Hera or somebody with only three oh. so frustrating but so, such a tight game but uh as you can tell colin ended up winning it i think 40 to 34 at the end of the day wow that's nuts yeah like that initial push there on his when he took initiative like i really thought it was over but it it was a crazy swing of events yeah mm. Yep. Awesome. Very, very cool. All right. So on to round three. Yeah. So, so round three for me, uh, was against Greg M, uh, not, uh, the Greg that lives in France and or Switzerland, uh, who, who Greg Monson, <laughs> who we all know well from the podcast. Uh, but, but another Greg M who's from Louisville. And so he was sitting at two and O and I was at one and one. And uh, this game, was on Moss Eisley, the crates pick up and deliver mission. And and okay. I went into this expecting to do a sort of faint and hyper aggressive attack and grab a bunch of crates and run back because it, it sort of lent itself to that with me being on the inside side of this map. And I, that was my plan. And then Greg sort of threw all of his pieces in the center of the map and I said, that doesn't work anymore. This is just a fest. <laughs> and it, it sort of spiraled, uh, unfortunately, for Greg. I think I was up at one point 28 to nothing. 
and oh. uh, ended oh. up winning 39-11. So it, it was just one of those games where the initiative swing was against him, and I, I dodged or on the land all of his big attacks, and, and it just mm. spiraled. I mean, it's the only game on the day that wasn't within six points, basically. Wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so that got me to two and one. And then final game, game four, and, and because we only had eight players, we weren't doing a top cut. So so final four or final game four was sort of the final. I was playing James Matchett, who was three and zero at that point, and I was sitting at two and one, knowing that Colin and Chris are the other guys that are two and one, and they're playing each other. So for mm-hmm. me, it was like, okay, this could be the championship match, depending on strength of schedule, and uh, it was on Tarkin Rogue AI. And I did not get an advantage for an initiative swing this game. And so I had to just turtle for an entire round behind my closed terminal door. Uh, Basically just sort of turtled. I'd thrown Sabine out. She did a little bit of work and then died right away. But everybody else was just sort of turtled up waiting for, I had negation in my hand, waiting for initiative to come my way round three and, and pummel and, pummeled Kane into death did uh back and forth in round three and round four bottom line we were sitting at 35 35 with time having run out in in the beginning of the round and we were both dancing trying to figure out how do we get the last points he had the tie-breaking edge on kills and i was trying to figure out how do i get my last point how do i get a last point and was able to use motivation to move Hera one space to oh, no. get the little dodging uh, rogue AI points. <laughs> and oh, that finished the game, 37-35. So like, oh, literally, James, James was sitting there like, okay, I'm winning the tournament. I'm winning the tournament. I'm winning the tournament. Wait, I forgot about motivation. Motivation? Oh, man. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I feel so bad for him. I mean, he, he played so great the entire day and played so well in that game. And then for it to come down to that that motivation move at the very end, just uh, uh, I was I was, <laughs> I was very disappointed for him. Uh, sure, but uh, I mean that's that, that's awesome. So so yeah, so that that brought me to three and one, and and it was the the three way tie as as you'll learn as you hear Collins. Yep, that play. Awesome, Colin, give us your round four. Mine's going to be a little bit quicker because I had a round one bye, and then me and Jason just went through our uh, our round together. So I guess we'll fast forward straight on to the, uh, the third one, I suppose. Yep. So my uh, my first one was against James. Uh, we played. It was on the one on Moss Isley, the crate mission. I took the outside, and he took the interior. So did uh, you chose the outside, or you ch- or he? Like how did the initiative? Um, actually, break I think he had initiative. I'm pretty sure he chose. Okay. The, uh, yeah, he chose that one because the outside is a little harder to deploy on with Hera. Uh, he was running extra armor for his Spectre Cell. I believe he was. Is that, okay, is that correct, Jason? Is he? Yes, that's what he was running. He was running extra awesome. armor. Yeah, he pl- he plopped it on Ezra and I think onto Zeb for his other ones. So, anyways, uh, I'm on the uh, exterior and. I really want to start out with, you know, a snipe again, because that worked out pretty well the last game. So I okay. move Hera, you know, straight up towards the little sniper nest area outside of the uh, the moisture evaporator so she can have a pretty good bubble. And that gives me a good line of sight down the uh, 
the hallway into his terminal, which I believe I opened, either he opened it or I opened the door, but now we have like a clear shot. And I was able to pull off a end of round Spectre Snipe onto his chopper and killed it. Uh, and he made a comment saying, well, that's the game, it's over, I just lost. And I started laughing because I thought he was joking. I was like, oh, it's just chopper. And he just looked at me and said, no, I'm serious, I've just lost. And I felt so bad. I'm like, oh, no, I didn't mean to like laugh at you. I'm so sorry. And then he told Call me. Call in. <laughs> yeah, I was like, An exercise in insensitivity. <laughs> I, was, I was so shocked. And I asked him why like he was, you know, thought that was so bad he lost Chopper. And he said because of the, um, the activation advantage. Yeah. Especially. It is, it is a big here. deal. And I, I started yeah. to realize that afterwards. And, but I, I apologize for that. I didn't mean to rub his face in the dirt anyways he moved both of his jedi into the cantina and i know that the cantina is generally a safe place to be because from our i played chris in the uh the relaxed vassal league we actually did our our game in person at the same store which is pretty cool that and is awesome the hallway area is generally not a good place for you know the specters to fight if you don't have a uh, initiative advantage the cantina however is safe unless the enemy is at the door right outside their deployment zone which i was not so okay. he, his jedi pair were quite safe in there uh they eventually i think the next round opened the door and started moving into my uh terminal started to contest that uh i started to move my jedi down there to contest them but his Zeb and Sabine were pretty – actually, no, just his Sabine was pretty free in the middle hallway using her mobile to get over the crates, get some shots and grenades into my little sniper nest up there. So he started whittling away the points. I was able to kill his Zeb, who was at the very top. I think his Hera and his Zeb were at the top. He basically sacrificed those so that he would have control of my deployment zone and my terminal and he actually got a capture point on my deployment zone. You know the little the little dunk point where you can run the crates to? The, yeah. the mission card doesn't state you have to run it to yours. You just have to run it to a, uh, a capture point. So he was able to Ezra one of my points, which that was kind of crazy. Yeah, that, always, that always feels bad when that happens. Uh, I learned that from last year's regionals too. It's really, really bad. Yeah, that, that definitely got me. So he he played that game really well. Uh, I thought I was going to take it with you know the initial swing and plus being able to blast through two of his figures, but he he chose his battles wisely and overall through the trade of the uh, placement he had the upper hand on that. So he was able to win that game pretty handily. That's that's okay. one thing we can swing back to later too. Is I think it, it, it's important to realize with Spectre that you're never down. And yeah. if you're playing against Spectre, they are the zombie. Like they are, they are the the zombie that's never going to die. And there's there's such an ability for them to just keep the the pedal down and and keep going, even when you think they would otherwise not be able yeah, to. We will definitely swing back to that point. Awesome. So at, so at this point, you're two and one. Yes. On to the last round, which is against Chris. So, as I said before, I played against him in the Vassal League in person. So this was a rematch. Uh, he was running. <laughs> he was running with uh, Channel the Force, which really shocked me when I first saw it when he played it against me. I think both of our lists 
or identical from when we first fought against each other. I know I changed a couple of my command cards, but this was on Tarkin, on the Rogue AI. This was a really good finale in just terms of like playing against Chris, because we made so many references to the to the Rebels TV show, <laughs> just laughed the whole game away. But Chris also played a really, really smart game. So he took the outside, and he starts to ignore his door. He starts to move towards the middle. And that's my cue to get Harris set up towards the um, the upper hallway. There's also like a little middle spot where she can give her buff. So I start to set her up, and then I move Kanan out there to give her like a defensive reroll in case she comes under fire. Okay. However, Chris it was really clever. It was a faint move. He rushes all of his figures out the door right after that. Like I think he committed Ezra down to the hallway to to bait the trap. And then I realized just how out of place Kanan really is, and he dies to a uh, Spectre Sabine, which feels Ugh. which feels awful. <laughs> so yeah, but like I knew I wasn't completely out of it yet. I knew if I wanted to make a comeback, it would have to be now, and that Zeb and uh, Ezra were the figures to do it. He had all of his figures clumped near the treehouse. I, I think save for Ezra and Chopper. So I motivate, no, I mean, I brash Ezra up into the group there. Uh, believe he had initiative. So I think he also used force push to try to give me an unoptimal pummel. But my biggest point, okay. my biggest point there was I completely ignored his white dice figures. Completely ignored Sabine. I think when Ezra finally joined that fight, I completely ignored him as well. I saved those for last because when I was this far down, when it, like the victory was like on the edge of a knife, if if he rolled a dodge, yeah, if he rolled a dodge on that, then that would have been a too big of a, uh, a swing for me to recover from that. But I was mm -hmm. able to I was able to burn down his uh, black dice figures pretty well, and I think yeah, he started to try to move his Ezra away, and like my Kanan, not my not my Kanan, my uh, my Zeb was able to chase him back. It came really, really close. I think the last figures were Chopper and Ezra for me and his Ezra and Hera for him. So, But it, it's just crazy how many how much options you have with the figures because you have um, Dying Lunge in your hand. Well, that card actually works yeah. with Chopper too. So, yes, it does. Yeah, even though Chopper is like a, a support, you know, quote unquote support figure, he's still a Spectre and he still has access to a lot of their cards. Like Pummel, he is definitely a candidate yep. for Pummel as well, if it needs to be. You know, I had a, I think I had a six health, six or seven health Han that was killed by a, a death blow dying lunge from Scott's oh, Chopper oh. in one of our games. I was unbelievably like, I was furious about it because I just, I, I, I had played on the lamb and I'm like, the only one he can attack me with is chopper. I killed chopper. And he does this. Like I was, I thought my positioning was amazing. I'm like, I actually, I might've even thought like he might have dying lunge, but I'm like, he, he cannot get to seven damage. And then he plays, um, death blow. And I was like, all right, chopper's the worst and he needs to die. <laughs> uh, but it was a really good fight. Um, I think the main deciding factors for this battle came around the uh, 
you know, the giant piece of blocking terrain right outside the treehouse. That's where most of the chase went on between my our, our Ezra's and our Zeb's. I think I high-rolled a lot of my black dice, which, you know, against the lightsaber characters, that honestly just translates to a single block. So that's not too big of a deal, but it's definitely an edge. Uh, but yeah, it just came down to making the decisions on which characters to go for and with what. Definitely helps having, you know, Zeb have those two attacks you can delegate who to attack to you can give you know you can do your main three your uh two red dice attack on the canaan and get some guaranteed damage through and then you can probably you know take the chance of risking the dodge against sabine with your with your shot yeah but a really good fight against chris who's definitely a good rematch amazing opponent that's awesome very very cool so at this point you're three and one yes and now tell me how Swiss ultimately breaks down. Um, it honestly came down, I'd say, to Jason's game. Like that one point with the one movement point was the deciding factor because I was doing the math in my head. And I realized that, you know, if he won, then it would be a complete tie because uh, not sure what the term is, but we've, we've all beaten each other. So it was three, three, three and ones. We, we, three, three and ones. Okay, who was the other one? James. James, yeah. James, okay. And so and, and so then it's all strength of schedule, yes. right, at this point. And, and I'm, I'm of, sure it actually gets into ex- extended strength of schedule. Yeah, so each of them had buys, and, and I think that's how oh. it ended up being even more sort of strange to predict because I had played four games. I had beaten two people that were two and two, lost to Colin at three and one, and beaten James at three and one. But then oh. Colin had played just three games, had beaten me at three and one, <laughs> lost to James at three and one, and beaten Chris at two and two. And he didn't have another person to dilute his strength of schedule, so to speak. So yeah. it was divided up by those three. And I think James had beaten somebody who was one and three. And that was. So wait a second. So down. each of the three and ones beat each other? Yes. So like you. It was perfect. Yeah. Oh my yes. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. Oh my heck. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so Colin got it on the uh, on the strength of schedule. I mean, literally, we had oh no idea God. who was who was going to win when we're standing there waiting for the term- tournament organizer. I mean, like yeah. I think both Colin and I are starting to take a step forward, and it's like, oh, nope, Colin's name. Colin, out by point, <laughs> point zero four strength of schedule. There you go. I didn't even know Imperial Salt had a strength of schedule. I thought it was just win loss. <laughs> yeah. Nope. That is that is how they'll do it. So that's awesome. That's very, very cool. Um, congratulations, obviously, to both of you. I mean, Colin, congratulations on the win, but realistically, congratulations to both of you for, I mean, that is uh, that is quite the field. So that's awesome. And everyone's running expected. Um, okay, so what I want to do now is let's take some time to maybe each of you can take, take time sharing some thoughts regarding um, your strategies with Spectre in terms of what you're hoping to accomplish, what your general strategy is. Are you bombing Kanan and Ezra in, as seems to be like the standard play? And that's maybe we can break that apart a little bit and and see where we're at. Let's try and go about 15 minutes on this. So okay. let's start with Jason. Sure. So I think most of my strategy was subconscious. Uh, so a, a lot of times in a lot of the games leading up to the tournament, I actually hadn't done that well in the Spectre Mirror matches. 
And maybe that's because a lot of my games are against Ryan Janway, who's part of our local play group. And it turns out Ryan's pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. And uh, he's the one who turned me on to motivation. So I, I think he's maybe one of the first people in, in the Slack forum to have uh, really recognized the strength of motivation. So all, a lot of credit goes to him for yep. helping me think through that and, and start playing that. But I, I think Colin alluded to it a minute ago, avoiding white die defenders when you are playing as Spectre is really, really important. And, and I went back and sort of looked at, after the fact, what I had done to just sort of build an analytical lens for what I'd actually done. I killed the opponent's Kanan every single game. And it was normally the first or second kill of the game. I killed the opponent's Zeb every single game. And I killed the opponent's Chopper every single game. That's four Spectre mirror matches. I killed the Black Die figures each one of those games. And I only killed the other Ezra once. And that was just the final kill to finish one of the games off. And, and so... Wow, that's, yeah. that very much surprises me, actually. I mean, I've, I, I avoid Spectre because I've only got two attackers. Or, I'm sorry, I avoid Ezra because I only have two attackers. But that's crazy that even... Even a Spectre Mirror, you're not attacking Ezra. Yeah, I mean, because maybe it was a little bit of, of, of bias because I was seeing what was in my hand, and a lot of times I think I ended up having on the lamb almost every game, if not every game, and having Dying Lunge and, and sort of knowing, like, I've got, I've got these cards. He probably has these cards. Let's take out the Black Die figures that are very easily... Killed by lightsabers. I mean, Ezra was the one who killed Kanan most of the time, which negates the reroll benefit that Kanan has because Pierce 3 from Ezra is going to just cut through most of that. And yeah, I sort of said I want to focus on those black die defenders every time that I can and not waste shots on Sabine or Ezra unless I absolutely have to. So that was, I think, my main strategic point that I recognized after the fact I also sort of did something with Sabine most games that I wasn't really sure it actually worked and maybe okay. it worked in retrospect but but maybe it was just lucky I mean she was my first loss in almost every single game really? I in, in in round two I think three of three of the four games she died and that was because I would sort of stretch as Colin was talking about to get that snipe shot at the end of round one or yeah. to otherwise sort of get the benefit of a grenade, I would stretch her and sort of throw her out there, and she ended up dying pretty quickly. I, I think she maybe rolled one dodge the entire day. Wow. But, but in, in, in retrospect, it's sort of, well, I played really fast and loose with her, and I probably could have been more conservative and gotten more value out of her. But it, it, it on the flip side, it might have also created a good opportunity that – thinned the ranks for the others. I mean, always getting a grenade in with her before she died helped thin, thin the defenses. And she drew fire from my other sources of, of attacking firepower. So maybe she didn't get value in and of herself, but she had sort of a protective, uh, sacrificial value, perhaps, that, that, yeah. that was helpful at the end of the day. I mean, Sabine's value in the end game is she's got Rebel Graffiti, a grenade, which is free damage, and an, a, an okay, consistent attack, right? Whereas Zeb, Kanan, and Ezra, those are not the guys you want to be fighting in the end game. Yeah. 
Yeah. So. It, and, and the other thing that I did, I mean, I, I sort of categorized my attacks into three different buckets, sort of seeing the Ezra Kanan and Double Zeb attacks. Like, those are the attacks that are going to hit six or seven damage against the Black yep. Dice. Those are my alpha strikes. Then my second tier strikes are going to do four or so damage against Black Dice. That's either one of Zeb's attack attacks or Sabine's attack. And then you've got the little random chip stuff like Hera because she's so wildly inconsistent. I can't count on her to be sort of that second tier attack. Chopper, if he system shocks or rams, Sabine's grenade or her blast, Hera's called shot, and then cards like Force Surge and stuff like that. And, and so I sort of said, like, I've got these three tiers, A, B, and C, and Spectre's defense is so predictable that you can almost say, here are the attacks that are going to take out each one of those defending yep. specters. So Kanan, you chip him for a couple damage at some point early, or he chips himself with re-rolls, and two alpha attacks are going to kill him reliably. Yep. He can't on yep. the lamb, he can't dodge. So you send a, an Ezra Pummel after Kanan, and you've chipped him two damage, he is dying. Uh, yep. He might get you back with Dying Lunge, but he's dying. Zeb is sort of the same way. You get him with one of those second-tier attacks, and two alpha attacks will take him out. And... Sabine and Ezra are just sort of who knows because of the dodge and Ezra who knows because of the on the lamb you don't want to waste an alpha shot on either of them you you want to kill those black dice with your alpha shots like Colin said hit them with the the red green attack from Zeb do some of those secondary attacks chip at them as you're able to but don't waste your alpha strikes on them and then Hera and Chopper they, they sort of die to a big alpha or a combination of a, of a second degree attack and, and a chip attack. So I, I sort of took that philosophy of here are the, atta- I have a limited number of attacks. There are a, a predictable number of def- a, a predictable number of attacks that will kill each of those black dice units, allocate those appropriately each round. And yeah. it, it, it worked. I don't know. It, I can't, say it was conscious and it sort of just in retrospect became really clear looking back over my notes from the game awesome very very awesome uh colin do you have any thoughts on that uh i really enjoyed reading jason's uh little profile on the attacks because he posted these onto the slack channel i remember for when i went to before i went to gen con i tried to do a little mock-up for the figures i was bringing because there's a uh, a damage calculator for imperial assault do you can like uh, say like you rolling this amount of dice with this surge abilities against this color dice? Here's your percentage you do damage, and then there's always like with some characters you have a hundred percent chance to do at least three damage, and it's always good to get a high roll, but to look at it and realize okay this is a guaranteed three plus damage, that's nice. I uh, I didn't really do the same with Spectre, which I probably should have. I mean like I said, Jason did a really good job with that. I tended to look at Spectre more in terms of swings because all of them hit relatively hard. And so instead of looking at, you know, alpha chips and then uh, what was supposed the medium level attack, Jason? Beta, I guess, but who knows? Beta, yeah, I thought it was beta. Uh, I tended to look for swings of attacks in terms of like Spectre Cell, Zeb's free attack strength in numbers, um, and pummel. 
So based on the cards in my hand, I would look for placement to get multiple attacks out. So usually, like, Zeb wouldn't always be the best candidate for being Spectre, but he would usually be a good candidate to Spectre another figure, because the other figure, usually a Jedi, would come in and attack. And then Zeb has two more attacks, which he can A, finish off a figure, or B, he can uh, put those attacks onto somebody else. Uh, also, I'd say placement's a really big key in Spectre as well, because you... Getting the free damage out of Hera is another big advantage. I mean, Spectre, a huge advantage of that is just prolonging the fight. Every attack, you see either declared against you or you declare, you get a bonus. Yeah. You get that plus one damn. So just the, the crazy part about this, I think it's like a one-point card, is that, you know, the longer the game goes, the more value you get out of it. Now, the same isn't true in a Spectre Mirror because they get the same same advantage. So being able to use the Hera's, Hera's called shot each turn is a way to swing that advantage to your favor. So placing Hera... Oh, I was just saying, placing her was a pretty big offensive advantage. Uh, Kanan's also a very important figure. I would say he's probably the most important figure out of the bunch just because he grants everybody else a defensive reroll. But you can also get guaranteed damage out of Ezra with that. Also, you can get a guaranteed heal out of him. I think it was in the game against Jason, but I think I healed one of my characters for six damage, I would say. I was able to pull off of it. I think yeah, I pummeled you, Ezra. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you, you healed Sabine. She had gotten down to, up to six damage after my, my pummel and Hera attack. Oh, that's right. And then she just did her did a Heart of Freedom, did her little dance and a motivation and something else, and she was back to zero by the I remember that yeah, it was Sabine. Yeah. And, yeah, the motivation and her evasive maneuver pulled her from the middle of the map down back towards the, uh, the pillar. That's awesome. Do you have any other – so, like, how Jason was giving, like, his general strategy thoughts, do you have any additional thoughts? Because I've got a few – questions that i want to ask after so we had our regional prep tournament last week and there is a few play people playing specter and i've got just some questions for specter players but do you have any additional thoughts or comments uh swinging back to what we said earlier about you know you're never really down with specter uh i honestly think that's the case uh like i remember playing this game against a vader match and i lost ezra after he dealt two damage from his uh his dying lunge and, you know, you play this game long enough, you start, you know, those moments where you think the game's over and you get that little pit in your stomach of, oh, this is a loss. But I still, I was still able to win that game just from Spectre selling and all the different free attacks from Strength and Numbers and Zeb. So you, there's always this comeback mechanic that that card has just by exhausting it. The only problem is playing in a mirror match. Uh, not only do you have that, but your opponent does too. I remember in my game against Chris, not the regional one, but the, the relaxed game, I remember looking at the figures. I was down about two of mine and thinking, okay, I have to, I can do this here with Zeb, or I could you know, go with Hera and then Spectre, this guy over here. I, I can still do this. I still have my comeback. And then it dawned on me that, oh, wait, Chris can do the exact same thing. And he pulled off kind of like Jason did to me, just this massive swing of figure activations. I think he activated about three of them, and that just shut it down right there. So especially in the mirror, 
if you start to go down, that's when you have to make those plays to pull yourself back up. Just like I did in the uh, the last game, I knew I had to make up for Kaden going down right away. And that's the only thing that pulled it back for me. Yeah, yeah, it totally is true that that Specter is going to be capable of a comeback. I mean, I, I played a game against Han Rangers the other night and lost my Ezra in around one just because of opening it mm-hmm. up to to Ranger fire. But I think the game ended up coming down to one or two points at the end, and they're just able to. Other other lists can be either slower or faster, sort of either a little bit slower on the accelerator or punched down a little bit faster. And Spectre is sort of like that truck that you see in some action movie that's just sort of constant at eighty <laughs> miles an hour or whatever, and not yeah. not letting up and barreling through everything in front of it. And that's, that's sort of how Spectre feels. <laughs> Even when you think that they're down, that they're still going that fast and capable of coming back. The reason why I think that's the case is because Spectre just has, I mean, we say it all the time, they've got an incredibly efficient stat line and they've got great attackers, right? Like the, all of their attacks are, all of their attacks are okay, right? Like Chopper's attack is okay. Hera's attack is inconsistent, but okay with that plus one. Whereas, and Sabine, I would say like Sabine's attack can be good, but most of the time it's okay, but she's got other things she's bringing to the table. But Zeb, Kanan, and Ezra are all like great attacks, right? And you're fixing die. So we know why they're so consistent, but what do you guys think like in terms of if you fall behind a Spectre, and let's not talk about it in the context of uh, Mirror, let's talk about it in the, you're playing against IG Pirates. IG comes in, he drops Blaze, and he's able to kill, um, let's say, Kanan. So you're down Kanan, you've maybe taken a little bit of damage on Ezra or Zeb, and you've got a IG who was able to bomb in and only took three damage off of Blaze. Like, what's the play in terms of how do you think about coming back into that game? Because you know you're still in it, so how? Do, what do you think about that? Colin, do you want to start us off? Yeah. Well, so if Kanan's down... You still have Ezra, but he lost his, you know, little force partner that he can fix the dice. Uh, I'm going to assume there's a copy of Pummel, maybe two in the deck. Yeah. But the plan would be, uh, as somebody who ran the uh, the Pirates, I know they tend to clump up together near their focus, their supports, you know, good old 3PO. So the plan for that would to be, um, hmm... You know, I was about to say go in and just massacre the pirates, but the thing about IG is, is he is extremely fragile compared to Spectre. Yeah. I uh, I played a game against, it was IG Ugnaughts, which, let, let's not get into the Ugnaught part, because it was on Rogue AI. That That's a that's a story for another time. That's an <laughs> but, awful story for another time. Uh, oh, it was awful. I'll just say this. End of round one. Nothing to 20, his lead. Oh, oh. <laughs> objectives. He didn't get a single kill that game and still won. <laughs> so, wow. anyways, but that game highlighted, even though IG was his main muscle, he still burnt down so quickly to, you know, Kanan, uh, Kanan, Spectre, Ezra. So, Ezra coming in, or even Zeb, I would say. Honestly, I think Ezra would probably be a better target against him just to get that pure uh, Pierce 3 onto him because if he blazed he's down three health and it won't be that hard with tools or a good swing to get him the rest of the way yep especially because you've got other ways to control damage with sabine right so you know you can just pop the damage on her 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think there you're thinking, what are the two attacks that'll take out IG, who's in my back line? Or, and so that's a, an Ezra pummel, or it's Ezra and one other attack. Or for that matter, if he's in your back line, I mean, you throw a chopper after him and you send Ezra after the uh, after the pirates on the other side. I mean, there are just so many options with somebody like IG being in your back line with everybody having access to Pierce. It, yeah, it, it's it's not that scary of a moment when you've lost one. Yeah, his his scary moment in this situation has already passed. He's done his blaze of glory, and he did take out one of your figures. But there are a ton of options to take him down, like an Ezra, Spectre, and to basically anybody to finish him off. Because the Ezra swing, if won't kill him, will get him into like lethal range for perhaps a Harris shot. But after that, uh, uh, brash Ezra into pummel onto the Weequay's back line. Yeah, that's that's its worst nightmare. Uh, on TV Boy's YouTube channel, which I recommend people look into, I actually saw him play Spectre against my Gen Con list, which I felt pretty happy to see that. But then I started feeling less and less happy when I watched Spectre just massacre it. Uh, just because, like, I, I'd like to think, could that list hold up in today's meta? And an honest answer would be no. the The pirates really do like to hang out in the back corners of the map, poke their heads out, snipe, run back to get more buffs. And, you know, rinse, shine, and repeat. But Ezra just steaming forward with Brash and being able to get multiple attacks out with Pummel and Spectre Cell. And they really can't withstand a full swing by him. You know, six health is not too much to work with when a Jedi's coming at you. Yeah, I and, mean, Ezra, all yeah. he needs is three damage showing on his die. And as long as he's got his two surges, which he's probably going to have, he's going to kill those guys. Yeah. And that's and real it, feels bad. Yeah, and in this uh, hypothetical situation, so you said IG and some pirates. Most of the time, that is uh, one set of pirates. If you're running two, that's that's fine. But like in this case, you are definitely going to kill at least one of them. And if you're really lucky, you'll kill both of them. And then mm-hmm. there go there goes the guns, and they probably have Greedo left after that. So you so you think that the play? So are you saying the play is kill IG, and then you don't need to worry about the pirates, or? Ignore IG and go for the pirates because you're just going to kill them so quickly. Uh, definitely finish off IG. I think if IG took himself out of position to get the kill, which he, if you uh, position Spectre smartly, he would have to. Yeah. Get the free kill, which is a pretty big point swing. And if you can withstand the pirates' barrage, they have to reload with their focuses. Sure. So, and by that time, you'll get to them with your movement cards and your brash. Okay, makes total sense. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, pretty much the same thing. I think I think the the distinction between him taking out one of your heavy hitters in your back line in other lists versus Spectre is that your back line just has more firepower and reliable damage to deal than other lists. I mean, it's not Gideon and or it's not three PO focusing Gideon for a shot in the back line or Jabba trying to, to, to do something and, and, and get close and, and take a swing. Like the slug can very rarely do. <laughs> uh, he can on the land. Exactly. Uh, so it, it, you almost can do both of going after the pirates and counting on the reliability of what's left in your back line to finish off uh, IG. I think that's, that's where it's just scary because it's not a weak, soft underbelly. 
but yeah, that's a great point. Okay. Now I've got a question for you guys based on, so I was talking, we were talking with Sam. I was talking with Sam. He was bringing up a good point about in terms of positioning. And this is something that Colin, you had discussed earlier, but he says he never includes, he doesn't include planning in his deck because he never wants to play it because actions are too valuable with Spectre in terms of, you know, Hera getting into the fray, getting ready to like put on the pressure with attacks um, yes. also being able to call the shot. So he never runs planning and he doesn't even include officers training his theory for uh, um, card draw is taking, taking your opponent's terminal, which he, you, which you can do, right? Like that's kind of what's crazy about specters. You can absolutely do that. What are your guys thoughts on that? I want to say that, uh, uh, Lethal hasn't like officially at this time rotated in yet, but specter does need a little more than card draw. I, in all the games I've played on Lethal with specter, uh, my opponent has completely surrendered their terminal. They've just ran north. I've taken the spire, and this is on both sides. And I was able to contest both of their terminals, and which is really nice with the card draw. The only problem with that is now you have a long march up north to fight the enemy, and the Jedi do not like to. They don't like to run and not end their movement next to a figure. Because even if you can't get an attack in with a double move, if you're going to take initiative next turn, that translates into a Pummel or, you know, a Kanan spectred into Ezra, get his free dice in. But Lothal is just so big uh, in terms of vertical length that being out of place down south to hold the terminals, I wouldn't say it's worth it. Uh, Officer's training, I did include that in um, in my command deck. Uh, it's nice to get the card draw, which is the main reason why I run it. And there always is the boogeyman of tough luck, but the only problem about that is there's only one copy of it in their deck, and you really can't always play around it. So there's some cases where you know, you're just out of card draw, and you might even roll a dice that wasn't that bad just to get it. I would include it because you can't always rely on card draw with specter i mean chopper is a pretty good sitter but if things start to go hairy for you in the battle he might be more useful in the fray than just sitting on the terminal especially when like i'd say he's really good against empire because you know if an officer sits on a chopper to terminal for two turns well he's gone and in most cases, I've when I played against Empire players, they send their officers into the battle. And at that point, I would say I've gotten most of the cards I need to get, or even if I don't, just getting two more of them won't change the battle that much. So I would rather have Chopper in position in the battle than just sitting on the terminal in that case. Interesting. I, I mean, I, I, I do like that. I think that we've played on Lothal quite a bit, and JK, I, I should put um, post a map on the slack with some notes on it in terms of um the general lines of approach because both jk and scott have figured out how to come from the spire to the other side of the map in a way that you're not taking very many shots if any right like you might you might slow your attack by a few movement spaces but realistically like you're going to be making the attack at the same time assuming you're like playing things correctly and it is very very tough for your opponent to get shots on them. I think I will. I'll, I'll post something on the Slack in terms of just like some general notations after our, our next game, just giving some idea for Spectre players in terms of how you want to approach um, once the enemy like abandons their terminals. So 
I really enjoyed, I think Brett Kelly posted, he's posted several of these, but his, uh, his map analysis on there, I think it was from on this podcast as well, but he, uh, I remember that you guys did one about the Moss Eisley and you had like little annotations to say, as you're watching the podcast, we'll mention this place, like the back room. And so that's why it's labeled this because we talked about it. Those were extremely helpful in terms of, you know, prepping for North America. So I think posting that with Lothal would be very nice. We'll get it up. We'll totally get it up. Um, Jason, what are your thoughts on this in terms of planning, officers training, positioning, aggressiveness, et cetera? Yeah, so I, I think officers training, I haven't run it because I, I'm too afraid of tough luck. And it, it just, I don't know, it feels like I could do something more valuable with that one point than create my, for myself a tough luck risk and get one other card in my hand, but I do run planning. And, and, mm-hmm. and I, I think that it's helpful in the mirror match in particular on Spectre because it enables more of either the certainty on initiative swing if you get negation or it, it enables those other swing combos like what Colin's been talking about. I mean, if you are able to use that to draw into, especially in the middle of a round, strength in numbers, like, okay, that suddenly changes up everything you can do in, in that round and opens up a lot of opportunities. And and I think I probably, because I have not been a Hera player historically, I mean, I ran Empire lists last year and then non-Hera using Scum lists over the summer, I'm still not very good at optimizing Hera placement to get benefit out of her extra shot or her extra damage or surge that she can add and i sort of don't mind if there's one round where she sort of sits and plans or moves more and plans or attacks and plans and i wouldn't use it on kanan but i'll use the planning on hera and i mean i I think in that final game against james i had a possibility of planning in the middle of the round into rebel graffiti to win the game. I ended up winning it with the motivation, but I was hoping for rebel graffiti. And so did a, a Hera shot and plan move just with that hope that it would get me those final points that would tip me over the edge in the mirror match. So I'm, I'm still a fan of, of planning, but not so sold on officers training. That's a great point. I, that's interesting. See, I have, I have included planning in every single deck I've ever built built ever like, because it's just, I think it's too good in rounds one and two, obviously it's not as good later in the game, but that's not why we build most of our command decks. Right. And so I think the value is really, really strong. And like you're saying, it just opens up your choices because all, all of Spectre's cards are all about giving you choices, right. In terms of movement, um, the strength, these like tempo swings, I guess like there's certain cards that are a little bit more passive in terms of what they're doing, but it's not like, like I, if I if I play planning, what I'm looking for in the box is like on land and miracle worker. Those are not tempo swing cards. I I mean, it's my opponent knows I need to get through both of them in order to kill people, and so it's not like I'm not giving my opponent like I'm not giving myself the opportunity to do something that my opponent can't plan for, right? Because he knows I'm going to do both of those things, and I think getting those cards in Specter's hand is awesome if if you're able to draw right, like strength in numbers, negation, pummel. Ooh, man, that that can hurt. Yeah. And, and I think in terms of overall aggression level, like I, I think the way to, well, when Spectre first dropped, 
I think everybody saw, holy cow, this is a hyper-aggressive five Vaders running after you list. And people went running to the hills <laughs> because it, it, it was played very aggressively and was overwhelming when played aggressively if you didn't know that it was coming. And I think over the course of the last four months or so, people have figured out that if Spectre plays over aggressive, it can go down. And people are starting to care more about positioning. It's still a aggressive list. It's not a sit back and wait type list, but it can wait and pick its timing. And and I think that's that's really important depending on who you're playing. I mean, I guess I haven't I've only played against the box once. It was Ben Barnum running it and it was bad. Uh, running Spectre against against a box variant, but I didn't move quickly enough, and I thought the chipping damage would yeah. work, and then everybody got healed, and nothing had happened. So, <laughs> yeah, and you're like, wait a second. I thought I'd done something, but it doesn't look like I actually d- did. Where did those attacks <laughs> go? So, <laughs> so, so yeah. I mean, against some lists, I think you do have to play it really, really aggressive, and I think there are really cool ways to take opponents' terminals on almost all of the maps right now that, that that are really neat when you're able to take their terminal and be aggressive that way. But even then, if you're doing it right, you're actually not opening yourself up to too many shots in, if you're doing yeah. it the right way. And, and so I think there's definitely something to be said for really careful positioning with Spectre. And, and I think for, for people that are like afraid of going to a regional and facing six out of eight Spectres like what we had in Louisville, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. And I think, I think that if you go to a regional, you're going to run into at most a couple people that have really dedicated playing to it and are really focused on it. And I think Colin and I, and maybe Chris, maybe James, but, but I think we were the ones that had dedicated the most time to it. And several of us have been playing it on Vassal and sort of known as people playing it on Vassal ahead of time. And there's a yeah. finite there's a finite number of those. I mean, I, I could almost name off sort of the top ten of people that I know that are playing Spectre. And there are a few on the West Coast. Yeah. There are a few in the in the Midwest. There are a few in in Utah. A few of us here in North Carolina. And and, and that's sort of it. It's not everybody running it at a super high level. So I think going into a tournament, you're going to face a few people that are less experienced that'll have a really solid list but they're not going to be playing it at a highly tuned level. And, and so yeah. I, I think we, we don't need to be terribly afraid of Spectre dominating everything. I, I think if the best players in a tournament are playing Spectre, they'll be hard to beat. But sure. it, it, it doesn't completely level the playing field regardless of experience level playing the list because you can definitely misplay it and lose games. Yeah. I also feel like Lethal will hurt Spectre too. I mean, the Spire is definitely a huge benefit with Sabine. And maybe this could just be from my own personal experience. I mean, when I figured out that Lethal wouldn't make it in time for the regionals, I stopped playing it and started playing Moss Eisley on Vassal. But if the, if the Spectre players don't figure out a way to, you know, to get better placement, because like I said, you can hold both of the terminals, and then what are you going to do? There's four objectives on both missions on the upper side. 
that they can just camp out and they'll control it that way. I mean, Jake just won a game on their, what was it, 6-3? to three? So <laughs> they don't have to get to 40 points. <laughs> they just have to control more objectives than you. Spectres will have a hard time chasing up on there. So as long as the map does rotate out, I don't think Spectre will... It will still be a very powerful list by all means, but I don't think it will like remain dominant or we'll just see a sea of Spectres instead, you know? No, I th- I think that the it's what will happen is we will settle into a spot and like people talk about Spectre taking over and it's like well, I mean IG Pirates was everywhere right and Scum yeah. has been everywhere right and so to complain I guess like maybe people's thought is well this is like one particular list and I'm like well I hate to be the bearer of bad news to all the IG players but your lists pretty much function the exact same right like you've got all of your your sweet cards you're waiting to draw blaze and a negation and then you're just going to bomb in and like murderize people with with IG and so it's not like it's not like that was like this dynamic interesting archetype right that has has I I'm not that I'm a po- I am totally fine with people running it but to pretend like it was this incredible exercise in tactical mastery whereas specter is not just completely i think misses the boat yeah i agree um well with that being the case i think we, we're going on coming up on an hour and a half which is probably going to be let's uh, we'll, we'll we'll cap it at this point let's get some closing thoughts from colin and then we'll go to jason just in terms of um, what i want it to focus on is for new players like people who are thinking about playing Spectre or not playing Spectre, like, but they know they're going to be playing against Spectre in the, this regional season. What is like your most salient piece of advice that you'd like to give them? Okay. So let's start. Let's say you don't want to play Spectre. There's a reason why the, uh, the Imperial list Vader, Palpatine, and Thrawn is doing so well. So if you're new to the game, you always have to think about in skirmish, how am I going to get to my 40 points? That's the point of skirmish is one way or another, I got to score 40 points. Uh, you also have to worry about what lists you're going to go up against, which that, that's kind of known as just like the meta, you know, what lists are predominant and whatnot. Vader Palpatine Thrawn is good because there's been a lot of anti-Spectre tech developed out there but you still have to worry about, you know, the rebels and they always got some version of their box and rangers are out there. You have to worry about those too. Uh, Vader Palpatine Thrawn does good because it can also perform well against those lists as well. So if you're going to build a list that's not Spectre, you have to prepare to face that. How are you going to deal with a Jedi rushing in and then double activating his apprentice into two dice choices of his picking. If you are going to run Spectre, you have to realize it's not just, you know, oh, pick this up and go. How you choose to spend that one point, as well as your command deck, will very much decide how this list plays. Uh, As far as um, Chris did with is a channel of the force that was pretty unique. He didn't have to worry about drawing the right Jedi cards because he just took a damage pain and picked the ones he wanted, which gave him lots of control over placement since he now had a force push in his hand, but it also like signaled to me that he had it because you had to reveal it to your opponent. Uh, if you go extra armor, that uh, that's more, you'll play more defensively. 
which I also think I think doubt's kind of phased out a little bit, but doubt does get yeah. hurt. I think it's more of like it, it's a meta call, right? Like if you're exactly. going to be running into scum hunters and Han Rangers all day, you better be running doubt, or you're going to have a really hard time. Right, and that's another thing about new players. If you've watched people play or just talked to them about what they like to play, you should start to get a good feel of what your meta is like. And if nobody, if people just scratch their head and look at you, rebels, well, what are those? What are rangers? Uh, then it's probably a good call not to bring doubt. Motivation would generally be the safer call, but you have to know how to use that extra movement point to uh, position your figures. Which can be, as Jason showed us, it could be the the difference between victory or defeat. And in closing, the uh, command deck really tells how you'll play your game. If you load it with more offensive cards, like double pummel, tools for the job, then you really have to look for the right moment to use those. If you rush in without them, you could come up short with your damage, and then you know they could pile all the damage on you and take out your key figures. And then that's the game for you. Uh, I would generally recommend people not run Defensive Spectre, but for a new player, this might be a good idea. By Defensive Spectre, you mean cards like Second Chance, Tool, or I'm sorry, Stealth Tactics, Brace for Impact? I actually ran to uh, Brace and Stealth, but mostly uh, Second Chance. Second Chance would be a big one that I would say a lot of newer players are looking into. Uh, I would say you should run that for your first couple of games. But definitely look to drop that, because in the long scheme of things, there's a lot of auto damage out there. But second chance is definitely, I wouldn't say it's like training wheels, but it's um, a good safety blanket to let you have a second, no, <laughs> literally a second chance with the figure that just went down. Yeah, and dying I definitely lunge. think dying lunge would. Yeah. yeah, dying lunge. Dying lunge is a little more of a, a high skill card, because in order to get the value out of it, you have to have placement. But while you're still learning to play the list, second chance would be a good learning card for you. But That's definitely, awesome. yeah, definitely look to drop that for um, higher cards like Dying Lunge. Yeah, Dying Lunge is amazing, and and it teaches you, it will teach you and punish you, um, good for having good positioning or bad positioning. Absolutely. So. Yep. Biggest piece of advice I could give is just don't be afraid to run the list. Ask people for help. Get on the Slack channel. There's Absolutely. four different channels just dedicated to list building and plenty of channels dedicated to all sorts of help. Yeah. And um, I think Jason said this earlier when he was talking about how six of the eight people were running Spectre. And, you know, you're, there's a little bit of sheepishness to it. No one should feel bad about running Spectre. It's Absolutely. a great list. It's a, it's, a, it's a great list. It is an awesome fundamentals list. It's very efficient. Like it's, it's awesome. And new players, I want new players to run Spectre. And I think, you know, people who like Spectre also, it is a high skill cap list. Like all lists are high skill cap because you're playing against high skill cap players, right? Like if I'm running Spectre and I'm just like throwing my people at like DT running, it doesn't matter what, like IG pirates, I'm going to lose that game, right? Because it's not just about like Spectre will not save you from making mistakes. It is, it can sometimes forgive you, right? Like if, like if you're able to extend the game due to its efficiency, but it is just, it's just a great list and everyone should, everyone who wants to play it should feel absolutely a okay playing it. Absolutely. So. Agreed. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a super list for learning the game and learning all facets of the game. And because you, you can learn positioning, you can learn tempo swings 
you can learn uh, when and how to use movement and how poor movement or poor positioning hurts you. And I think if you get a lot of reps in with it, you will just continue to learn how to play the game even better. And, and I think that's super valuable. It's a good, relatively controlled environment to improve your baseline skills and then apply that to lists that you might prefer to play or want to experiment with. But if you're learning the game and you're trying new lists every single game, your, variable, your variables are so diverse that you're not going to necessarily learn how to play the game any better. You'll just learn how to make different mistakes with different lists. And so, yeah, I completely, I completely agree with that. Um, Jason, you want to close us out, give us your thoughts in terms of um, advice for new players, just any general strategic advice and then we'll close it out. Yeah. I mean, I think just playing games and getting reps in and not tinkering too much is super helpful for newer players. I think in terms of the strategy, as you're planning to face Spectre, I think sit down and really think about who in your list do you want to attack which people on the Spectre team? Like, who is the unit, or who are the units that you want to go after Ezra when you have those opportunities? Who are the units that you want to go after Kanan and Zeb? And doing a little bit of that math and, and figuring out if your plan is to go after Ezra, or if your plan is to ignore him. And thinking through those things ahead of time to figure out what your list's skill set is and how that matches up against the defensive set of Spectre will really reap rewards. I mean, I think I, I was talking with somebody who was saying that their priority attack order is Ezra first, and, and that's totally right in terms of damage potential that Spectre can put out. Ezra is the most dangerous, but he will soak up resources, heal, dodge, or on the lamb. And that is a very risky first attack or first attacking priority. So I think really think yeah. through your list and say, I want to kill XYZ with ABC players, with ABC uh, out of your own list. And think through that strategy ahead of time and be ready to execute on it. I agree. It's, I mean, I think it, you bring up Ezra and it's really interesting to listening to you talk about this, Jason, because my thought with Ezra is I want to kill him, but I'm like not going to kill him if I cannot guarantee that either I have Intel leaked out on the lamb or something. And all I'm dealing with is the dodge because I want to kill him. And my instinct is always like, he's going to be going to be the one who's destroying my line. And so I've got to kill him, but you bring up a really, really great point. It's like Vader, right? You're like, I want to kill Vader. But do you have what it takes? Will trying to kill Vader lose you the game? Will it expend so many resources that you just, at that point, fall behind and just can't catch up? And I think it's a great thing to, you've, you've talked about it several times in the podcast, I think it's a great thing to think about in terms of it, it hurts real bad to let Ezra be roaming around taking these swings. But you just have to think, do I have the resources? Have I secured what I need in order to kill him? Or should I take the stronger play in terms of guaranteed damage, killing Kanan so he can't fix the die, things like that? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, brother, so much for coming on. Yeah, Not a problem. Thank Thanks for having me on. Uh, we want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. We So regionals are not going on right now. The first regionals are going to be starting up January 5th. Utah's having a regional then and other, other uh, 
other venues will as well. We encourage everyone to go. If you've got a regional that's close, it's awesome. We want to keep our attendance up. Obviously, the Utah regional is going to be amazing. We have got a custom alt art card that we have produced for it, as well as some custom acrylic tokens and, the, you know, tons of other swag and prizes. So everyone's going to be having a lot of fun. We encourage you to join us on the Slack channel by sending an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com and supporting us on Patreon. We're going to patreon.com slash zionsfinest. Brothers, thanks you again for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, Kenny.